Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. Good morning, Billy. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, once again, we're on uh, different sides of the country, but uh, good to get together and have some conversation. Heck yeah, man. Um, we're what in September, how the year has flown. Yeah. Yeah. We had a good, um, uh, Q, I can't, I don't know. Q, what was Q? Was that Q2 meeting yesterday? Yeah. Q2. I, I get confused with corporate, uh, you know, fiscal years and federal fiscal years and calendar years. I get all confused. I'm not that sharp. So. Yeah, it was, um, a, it was a good, uh, consortium meeting for sure. We, uh, uh, had a good attendance and, uh, we got some good content. Uh, we had, uh, um, Sean Grayson. Yeah. Right? yeah. And uh, we had Mike from Pike Township. Pike Township. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's some good information there. It was, uh, was good to, to get to connect with everybody. So, so who do we have with us today, Joe? Well, Billy, I'm excited today. Uh, we're going to talk to Chief Kabinsky. Um, and Chief Kabinsky, we first uh, met uh, at, at Naperville Fire, right? Obviously, you, you, you got that, right? Um, and so we're going to, he's going to kind of share. And as long with you, Billy, right, going to kind of share the uh, the Naperville story and and how we got here and where we are now and uh, some 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 great information. Awesome. Um, let's bring them in. Let's see what this right. looks like. All right, Jim, are you there? Sure am. There, there we go. <laughs> Welcome, sir. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to have you on board. Good to see you again. You too as well. You too as well. So, um, so, so Billy, let me kind of just try to work through this a little bit, but, uh, but Chief, do uh, you want to tell us a little bit, you know, kind of introduce yourself, give, uh, give us, get everybody out there a little bit of your history and, uh, and we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my name is Jim Kabinsky. I'm a firefighter paramedic, and that's important to me because that's what we all are, right? doesn't matter what other titles we uh, take on throughout our careers. Um, it's just responsibility when it comes with the title. And so everything that, uh, that has driven me has been the realm of firefighter paramedic. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, uh, was a volunteer and part-time, worked our way through, you know, as, as a kid in the fire service, ultimately landing in Naperville, Illinois in August of 2000. And uh, what a ride it's been. 21 and a half years spent with the uh, Naperville Fire Department, uh, making phenomenal relationships, and especially uh, with Billy. Uh, and we'll hear more about that shortly. And uh, retired in February of 2021, and only to move on to the great state of Texas and uh, assume the responsibility of fire chief for the city of Colleen, Texas. 155,000 people, 55 square miles, very similar in population and size to, to Naperville, which is helpful. And uh, it's been definitely a uh, interesting ride, but one that I wouldn't uh, trade in for the world. So I'm a, a lifelong firefighter. Very good, very good. So, so Billy, uh, you want to kind of tell us how you, how, the, how you two know each other and, and uh, how this all kind of came about? Um, well, we worked together in Naperville Fire Department. Uh, that's where I met uh, Jim. Um, he came on after I did. Um, yeah, so I've known him since a blue shirt uh, to a lieutenant uh, up to 
um, the chief of EMS. And we finally got to work together intimately uh, when I became the EMS training assistant and he was my boss. So um, we've known each other for a long, long time. So it's been great. How, how many years total? I make you do math, I know. Jim, when did you get hired? August of 2000, 22 and a half years. Yeah, so we've known each other wow. for 22 years. Wow, that, that's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. So, so you guys worked together for 22 years. Um, how, how did you get introduced to this ACR concept or, you know, or even, you know, Chief, if you want to kind of <clears throat> give us a little background of what, what brought you here, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, single greatest thing that we can do for anybody when it comes to being a firefighter and paramedic is save somebody's life, right? That, that's what it all comes down to. So I took an interest into um, teaching CPR, and that's where it all really started. I, I was the um, community CPR program coordinator for the city as a lieutenant, and we were teaching nurses, citizens, anybody that wanted to learn, uh, more than four or 500 people a year uh, with up to 50 classes a year that we were holding. It became very busy, uh, and then community, community engagement was huge. So that's where the interest of CPR came in. And I just wanted to make it better. I knew that we weren't great doing CPR in, in the field. And um, while we thought we were the best, if we could get citizens to start the, the plan for us and we continue on, we might just save one more life. And that's all this was about, was saving one more life than we did the year before. And uh, then the promotion comes along for chief of EMS and learned about this great new product that was gonna give feedback to our firefighters on whether they were doing good CPR or not. And that uh, the, the rescue 911 system, um, otherwise known as the plunger, I'm sure Zoll hates when I say that, but <laughs> I call up our rep and, and this is why it's important because I had this great idea as a new chief officer leading a division is that we were gonna save more lives by doing better CPR with the manual CPR system that Zoll offers. And I sit down with our, our rep, Kyle Sears, and he says, yeah, sure, hey, I'll give you a quote. He says, but what are you trying to do here? And he, he I gave him the same, same information. He says, I'll give you the quote. It's a you know, $25,000 sale or whatever it was at the time. Uh, be more than happy to do that. But why don't you let me come out and talk to you? And, and let's talk this through because we've got this, this CPR boot camp thing. He says, I think it might give you a little bit more knowledge. And that knowledge will help you make a better decision. Now he could have just sold me $25,000 and stuff, right? That's what sales guys do. And, get. Right. and he chose not to, he chose not to sell it to me at the moment. He said, let me give you some more understanding. And that's where the uh, boot camp came out and getting up into Minnesota and seeing what heads up CPR does in the pig lab and opened my eyes tremendously that, um, you know, I definitely had unknowingly tunnel vision when it came to the rescue CPR system based on our department and was going to work for us and what our abilities were. And so that's where it all started. It started with that, uh, got the idea, got the concept, started to talk about using mechanical CPR, uh, using rescue pods in a different way. And, and then Billy came along. And, and here's the other part of the story that's extremely important to share is that Billy almost didn't happen. Uh, we were looking for an EMS training assistant. It's a big change for somebody to come off of shift and go on to day shift, you know, yeah. eight hour days. That's a huge change. And 
I had been working on a couple different people. Billy was one of them who came to me and says, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And I got kind of excited because it was a, a curveball. I didn't expect it, right? And, and then at the 11th hour, he says, yeah, I've been thinking about it. And I think I'm, I'm not going to put in for it. I'm just not ready to go to days and other things going on in my life. And I says, well, if you can just do me a favor, we need to show interest in this position to our chief. Just continue through with the interview. Even if you don't get, even if you get offered the position and you say, hey, it's not the right time. We have two other applicants. Just interview. We've got to show interest in the EMS assistant position for it to stay alive in the department. And so I just thought Billy was coming in for, for the interview and just to, to, to fill a space for the interview. And this guy knocked it out of the park and was the obvious number one choice out of the three candidates. All three were great, but the obvious number one choice. And I go to him afterwards and I said, uh, hopefully I can say this on the podcast. What the hell was that? You just totally threw me for a loop in a good way. Um, <laughs> I thought you weren't going to take the position. The way you interviewed sounds like you want the position. He says, I do. And that was the start of it. And less than a, a month into him starting this position, trying to learn a new job, I say, hey, let's go to Columbus, Ohio. We're going to a, a boot camp hosted by Zoll. He didn't know what it was. I just gave him a very, very brief overview. Like, hey, you just got to see this. And we went to Columbus together and spent hey, you, a couple you, of days you, there. You promised me free food. Huh. That's why I went. Um, I forgot about that. I did. I did. Uh, man, I have to admit this on, on public, but I bribed you. That's right. That's I you bribed did. you with food. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. The rest is history. So that's the background. I know it's a little bit longer, but it's important to know the whole whole background, how Billy got here. All right, Billy. So tell me, how 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 did we end up here? Yeah. Um, you know, like Jim said, he approached me. Um, I just become, I just took the lieutenant's exam. And I became an, an acting company off officer uh, for the department. And my focus was kind of a, to that because I wanted some more experience in the right seat. And when Jim approached me and said, hey, um, you know, do you possibly want to, you know, interview for EMS training uh, position? That would have took me out of that role and put me on days. And I was torn. I was, yeah. you know, because I, I want to become a lieutenant. And um, I, I needed the experience. So I, I was torn. Um, even though I, I love teaching and educating, uh, that's one of my passions. Um, so yeah, I, I talked it over with my wife, um, the night before the interview, because I was just, I was literally going to go in there and just, you know, do a half-ass interview, you know, just, uh, to appease the chief and, and, uh, you know, get it done for him. Um, but the more I thought about it, um, the more it was a great opportunity for me to grow uh, as an individual uh, and to help out our department and to really dive into one of my passions, and that was teaching. Mm. So I went into that interview, and it was, it was effortless, I guess, uh, talking about those things. Uh, it just flowed out of me naturally, and... It, that was a, a big sign to me saying, this is, this is what I need to do. This is right. Yeah. yeah, this is right. And I felt good. I felt really good after that. Um, so I get the position and I'm excited. Um, you know, I have all these ideas and changes of what I want to do with training. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to uh, uh, steal this from Kevin Joel's. I wanted to make EMS sexy again. <laughs> so, 
you know, that, that was my, my, my thought. And then I, I remember going into Jim's office and he's like, Hey, you want to go to Columbus, Ohio to this, uh, resuscitation boot camp put on by Zoll. I was like, um, do I have to pay for it? He goes, Nope. <laughs> I go, I'm in, <clears throat> I'm totally in. And he starts telling me all this stuff about Rialto fire department and mechanical CPR and rescue pod delayed epi delayed defib you know I, I remember reading the article in gems and I, i've been a paramedic for 30 years now and i was like this is witchcraft i don't believe it you know um i, I don't believe their numbers for one so i was very skeptical yeah. that's for sure but jim wanted me to go and there was going to be free food so i went i went and uh you know, um, I remember sitting in the back and Joe, I, you know, I, I talk about this when we go out and um, speak across the country. I remember sitting in the back. We sat in the back <laughs> for sure. And I had my arms crossed and um, just not really wanting to listen. And but the more I did, uh, the more you started making sense to me. And I'm a realist. I, I really am. And um, it was just making sense. Um about everything that you were doing and that flame that I had when I initially started in the fire service and being a paramedic, it started to grow again. Mm. And I was super excited about the opportunity of saving someone's life because I can, I can tell you on one hand, how many people I saved over my 27 year career as being a paramedic firefighter for, for Naperville and it, it wasn't many. So this was a great opportunity to, um, you know, connect with my why, why I became a firefighter paramedic, uh, in the first place. And I was excited to share this news with, with anybody that would listen. Um, I mean, I was, that's all I thought about. Uh, and I think Jim and I were even starting to plan everything on, on the, the plane, plane ride home on the plane ride home. That's how excited we were about this. We were bought in 110%. And we talk about warriors. We talk about champions a lot. I became that warrior that day, mm. that day. And that it consumed me. It, everything I thought about planning, um, I, it was, I believed it, um, you know, inside my soul, <laughs> that this was the right thing to do. Just like I believed it when I sat down for that interview, I mm. believed it 110% that this was, this is what I was supposed to do. And there was a reason, there was a reason why I, I got this opportunity to be the EMS training assistant. It was to lead our department through this process to save more lives. And I have to tell you that um, again, all three candidates that applied for the position uh, were great, but I don't think this would have been as successful in Naperville if it weren't Billy who was teaching it uh, yeah. because of his personality, because of taking him in and, and seeing the belief he had in it and then the passion and that instructor capability. He had the exact perfect skill set and experience and, and everything that goes along with it because the big challenge was how are we going to get 178 other people to buy in? And we know it's not realistic that all 178 will buy in, but we got to get a majority. And we, we talked about that on the plane. And 
we knew it could be done. And, and I truly believe that anyone else would have done a great job and we've gotten some buy-in, but Billy's passion then took over and he, he made it happen. We, we did training on the, in the department uh, in a way that we had never done it before. And it made some training chiefs even a little uncomfortable how we were pulling companies in and moving them out of their district for longer than we normally do. And, and Billy had that edge and that drive to do it and wasn't worried. Um, the experience in the department is important because he could kind of push that edge a little bit because it was in the name of saving jobs or lives, right? right. Yeah. Um, him doing his and, and saving his job, right, Billy? <laughs> you didn't get this one. I was going to fire you right. back yeah. to the floor. So, so Chief, when you guys went to the, uh, when you got done with the meeting in Ohio, um, what, what from an EMS chief perspective, what value did you get from the presentation and, and where did you see that kind of going in, in Naperville? You know, I tied everything in, had the, uh, the fortunate ability, and I know that it, it was limited at the time. I don't even think you guys are able to do it anymore, but getting up to the pig lab in Minnesota to see the science behind it uh, was important. And even though that's not available anymore, the fact that firefighters who are typically skeptical um, were able to see the science with their own two eyes, that was the, the first step. Coming out to Columbus for the boot camp, that tied everything in. It tied in because it's great to see it in a lab when you're doing, you know, testing on, you know, in the pig lab, right? It's another thing to see it now apply to what we do in the field. How are we going to do this, whether it be, you know, in a bathroom at three o'clock in the morning or in the middle of a mall at three o'clock in the afternoon? And the boot camp tied that all together. Uh, also, being able to talk to guys like Rod Cheney, who had the passion, right? And the goal was not to sell anything. You know, I know everybody gets skeptical at a chief officer level. I had a, a chief up in Naperville who despised sales calls and sales <laughs> visits, um, doesn't like being sold things. And the fact that the boot camp was never about selling anything, it was about taking the science, applying it into a working mechanism, and ultimately tying it right back to the one most important thing, saving somebody's life. That was the biggest value. And talking to other departments that were doing it around uh, the, the country was a big help as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so um, either, either of you, where, you know, where you, 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 you go to the, the, the boot camp, um, you, you fly home, you start planning. How did you choose to, to implement the process? <laughs> Sorry. Well, they're going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Oh, no, my dogs were barking. No doubt about that. When it came to thinking about the money I had to ask my chief for, <laughs> because now my $24,000, $25,000 turned into a whole lot more. And we talked about uh, when it came to auto pulses and rescue pods and the whole system in general. Uh, but again, you have to have a belief in something. And when you have a belief, it's easy to talk to your bosses to get buy-in. Um, we're very fortunate um, when it comes to the budget. But I still had a chief who's very, very much about making sure we stay on track with the budget. That's, that's the chief's number one job, right? We got to make sure we stay within budget. It was an easy sell in ways of it saves a life. And the other part is that we had trust. Uh, the chief, the deputy chief, they trusted what we had done and that we weren't coming and, and selling witchcraft, right? And so when you can justify it, when you have trust, you can start to build on it. And then we started throwing ideas out. Do we put just two out there? And we got some loaners. And we said, well, I mean, maybe we put them in the battalion cars. And we did that in the field trial for a while and found out that 
the autopulse was getting to the scene way too late in a battalion right. car. So right. we really need to have one in every station. And we talked about, do we put them on the engines? Do we put them on the ambulances? Uh, and then as I'm talking about that deployment, uh, 10,000 foot view, Billy's sitting in his cubicle figuring out, oh my God, how am I going to train 180 people? Um, but he did a hell of a job with it. So I'll let Billy talk about that part of it. Yeah. I, um, you know, we, we, we talk about this in our presentations a lot when we go go across the country um, about getting your ducks in a row. Um, that has to be first and foremost, you have to have a plan of attack. Uh, if you just go and throw a caution to the wind, it, it'll probably fail on you or you'll get, um, you know, the, the results you weren't looking for. So uh, planning is of the, of the utmost importance. And um, I think Jim and I were, were pretty lucky because, you know, Jim had me and I had Jim, yeah. obviously. But most people, like in Jim's case, he is the whole EMS, you know, system, training, you know, uh, compliance, you know, budgeting, finance, all those things. So he's spinning a lot of plates. So um, we divvied up um, those tasks uh, accordingly, and it worked really well. Um, a lot of things have to go in, into place uh, before you do uh, something of this magnitude, when you're going to change something as drastic as we did in Naperville. Um, you know, we, we were working off of basically ACLS guidelines, um, you know, so we were changing everything for our people. So we needed approval. We needed approval from our senior staff. I mean, that was Jim. It was, he did a great job. Uh, we used data. Um, if you don't, if you're not using data to see where you're at, how can you go anywhere? Mm -hmm. So um, that was super important uh, to grab that data to say, hey, this is, this is where we're at. This is where we're going to go. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, so we did that. We had to get clearance from the hospital. Luckily, we have a, a PMD, Dr. Darrell Wilson, who, you know, his thoughts on how resuscitation should go, um, you know, somewhat aligned with what we were trying to do with ACR. So we had an in there and uh, Jim did a great job of nurturing that relationship and, you know, um, talking with, with him. Uh, I, it was one of the most nerve wracking meetings I've ever been a part of when we had to pres, uh, present um, ACR and what we were going to do in Naperville to all of the emergency room doctors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was insane. Insane. Um, but Jim knocked it out of the park. Um, nice. You know, his leadership there was, was amazing. Um, I, I like to Jim had this. <clears throat> He had his own staff car and I, and I, and I viewed it as a bulldozer because he plowed the field for me. <laughs> he did. <clears throat> he plowed the field for me so I can do what I could do. And that was to educate and to change the culture of our organization. Mm. So um, a huge ask. That's a huge ask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. Um, so, you know, those two components, and then obviously the financial component of, all right, we need this equipment. We just didn't need one auto pulse. You know, we, we decided that, Hey, they need to go on all frontline suppression units because yeah. we know that they would be on the scene of every cardiac arrest. 
regardless if the ambulances were all down and we had a mutual aid ambulance come in, we know that the auto pulse will be there. So we had to buy 11 auto pulses. So, so there's, there's, there's kind of like three ways to implement uh, an ACR or a cardiac survivability or whatever we, you know, we've called this over the years, um, you know, c- currently called ACR, but there is, there's kind of the Rialto method, which is not a method. It's a, uh, just push forward and try to make things better. And, you know, we, you know, we spent four or five years stumbling through uh, the data. What's next? How do we improve outcomes? How do we improve outcomes, the data and what's next, right? There was like, no, you'd like to think there was this gorgeous plan that we all, you know, we rolled out over, you know, X number of years and, and it wasn't, you know, we, so probably not, probably not the best method to roll this out. Um, there is more of a plan incremental rollout. And then there's kind of like Lawrence Douglas, Kansas, they literally, you know, did everything that Rialto had to offer in uh, in two days. What what system and why did you guys choose to go the direction you went? Yeah, um, I think I get Jim. You you can comment on this too. But um, one of the biggest things on the plane ride home, um, we, we talked about a lot of things. Um, but one of the biggest things, and I wrote this at the top of my paper, was culture, changing mm. culture, right. Um, we couldn't throw this out as another another shiny thing that the the fire department is is going to do because they saw it at this conference and we're going to try it out and give the guys 15 minutes of training and say mm. good luck. No, we knew how important this was. So changing culture was of the utmost importance and taking it slow doing this piece by piece. I said this yesterday in, in the consortium meeting, you know, um, you, you can't, the, the best way to eat an elephant is eating it one piece at a time. And that's what we did because we were changing everything. And it was going to be very uncomfortable for our members. Heck, it was, it was uncomfortable for me. It was uncomfortable for Jim uh, to do this. Uh, but we had to break it down one piece at a time. So uh, we came up um, with with a strategic plan of doing this over two years. Okay. Um, as a trial basis, and Jim, I'll let you pick it up from there. How how that kind of conspired there? Absolutely. So we took on the crawl, walk, run theory. Mm-hmm. First thing we need to do was was get into our firefighters' minds that we are terrible at CPR. Um, we are just a little bit better than the public, um, and it's okay. It's okay that we're terrible. So. We got that word out there and we started doing a field trial with all compression devices. We didn't pick the device. We let the troops pick the device. Now that was a risk. I can understand, but I think we can all agree here that any kind of mechanical compressions, even with ACR is better than manual. So we, we built those relationships with those dreaded salespeople and we got three month trials of four different devices. So we had a year of mechanical compressions that were getting out to scenes and, and we introduced all the troops that way. And that started conversation where Billy could then start talking about everything else that goes along with it that is not just mechanical compressions. And, and then we selected the device and that's where we built the ACR. So while the, the field trial was going on is when I was doing all the work behind the scenes with the medical directors, uh, Dr. Wilson, a, a huge asset with the chief talking about allocating the funds for this uh, in the next budget year, and it worked out perfect timing that once they made a decision, um, and we looked at all of the evaluations, uh, previous EMS, EMS training assistant 
luckily did that. Uh, rest her soul, Judy Greenberg, got those things out there and trained our people on mechanical compressions four different times in a year because it was four different mechanical compression devices. Uh, then is when we rolled out with the next phase, which was heads up and rescue pods. And we had a big challenge because rescue pods were brought to our department about seven or eight years earlier, just as a single device before ACR was ever a thing, before we also was doing what they were doing, and they failed miserably. I yeah. joke yep. you not, a hundred rescue pods were bought uh, by a previous chief, and because it wasn't trained on right, they sat in a closet. I found them, like I said, eight years later with a, a year left to go before they expired on them. Yeah. Uh, so we we had a little bit of resistance there because now we're bringing the rescue pod into this, and it already had had fallen flat on its face previously. Uh, so we talked about it. We said, well, hey, we understand this is why it didn't succeed. And we acknowledge, you have to acknowledge if there's a failure. If you try to brush a failure under the table, not going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, we acknowledge why they didn't work, but here's what's changed since then. And this is why they're going to work. The science behind it, the decreased intracranial pressure and being honest and saying, it's not about getting the pulse back. Change the culture. Like Billy said, it's not about the pulse. It's about getting them out of the hospital back to their families. And that was the next year. You know, we talked about training with the auto pulse and we brought the rescue pod into it. And then we brought a boot camp into Naperville. Mm -hmm. And that was, I, I think that's really what sealed the deal right before we rolled it out. Um, it was just little bits of information. So we started crawling with, with field trials. Then we started to walk with buying the auto pulse and training on it. And then we started to run with the boot camp and then Billy training everybody on ACR as approved by our medical director. Nice. Nice. So um, did you guys, so once you, you got there and after the uh, you brought it to Naperville, you, you guys rolled it out from there, uh, the entire toolbox or did you incrementalize the toolbox? Yeah, we, we broke it down in the first year was uh, mechanical CPR um, with, uh, you know, patient positioning, um, with the, the head elevated and, um, capnography, um, feedback, CPR feedback. Um, and that, that was the first year. Um, the second year was delayed epinephrine or, um, yeah, delayed epinephrine, delayed defibrillation based off of capnography. So, um, through the hospital, that's what, we decided to do, we'd look at those numbers after the first year and our, our numbers were great. Uh, 2019 uh, is when we started doing that. And just with, you know, those few components that we were doing, um, we had 12 people walk out of the hospital neurologically intact. Wow. Um, you know, we went from 9% uh, survivability up to, I think it was 14%. Nice. And our Ross great uh, rose from like right around 26%, um, over 30%. So it was unbelievable. And we, the Dr. Wilson approved for our next phase to go in, into, um, into effect. And that's when we really, really saw a, a drastic change in what we are doing. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't hard because it, it was very difficult, you know, to, uh, get those things, um, you know, implemented, but, uh, we kept doing that. I don't know what that was, but it was something weird. Um, <laughs> the dog grabs okay. what, Whatever's going on at your house, Billy, it's okay, buddy. 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in my house, and uh, I apologize for that. But hey, that's uh, what uh, live uh, TV is all about, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we uh, currently, uh, right now, we're sitting at 21% survivability uh, at a hospital. We had 15 survivors last year, and our ROSC rate is, uh, you know, over 40%. And, you know, we're continuing to get better every every single day. Um, our men and women, it's taken, uh, it's taken, you know, almost four years. Um, and we're, we're still learning. We're still learning. We're still getting content out to them that is valuable to them um, to improve their skills and ultimately improve uh, survivability, neurological survivability of, uh, you know, out of hospital cardiac arrest. So I'm very proud of what uh, uh, Jim and I have accomplished um, I'm very happy for Jim to be the fire chief over at Killeen, Texas, and uh, it's amazing. Good opportunity for you to bring ACR out to your to your uh, citizens and your your fire department. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been an ultimate ride, that's for sure. I don't know if you saw there, but I got a little. Uh, this is the first time I heard that that statistic for last year. You know, when you, I've been here for a year and a half, so obviously I have to shift my focus. Uh, but to hear a 20% survivability, you know, you talk about, and I think you get that way, Joe, with your moonshot. Yep. Right. Yep. I said 20% survivability. I believed it in my head and I'd hoped that Naperville would get there uh, to hear that, you know, that, that we reached a goal. Um, and I say we, because it, it, that is part of, of what Billy and I had, had set. Wow. I, I'm, I'm a little whoo, 20% survivability, 40% uh, restore of a pulse. And, and that was the thing that we told all the troops is that, hey, listen, forget about survivability, even though that's our focus. If we don't even get a pulse back, we can't even talk survivability. And so that was how we laid that groundwork too. Yep. Um, and to hear 15 survivors, right, 12 was a pinnacle because we had never had more than eight in a single year and the average was six in the previous four years before we implemented. So let's take percentages out of it. And let's just say, we have 100 full arrests a year, which was the average. And if we can make seven, if six was last year's number, if we have seven, we're at a win. Because it goes back to what Chief Knight has taught us is the single most important thing you can do is save somebody's life as a firefighter or paramedic. And to hear 15, job well done, Billy. I, I just, I can't tell you how, how proud I am of you and, and all 180, the, the neighborhood firefighters. And nice job, job well done. Well, you had a big part in that, Jim, and uh, I appreciate you letting me do what I do and, uh, you know, plowing that road with that bulldozer. So that was great. Oh, if I put a plow on the front of my truck out here, they're probably going to laugh at me. So I'll, <laughs> I'll refrain from that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing numbers, right? So just some, you know, I'm not really good at math. So I, you know, don't ask me what the numbers for pi are or anything. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about six, on average and last year 15 right so if i if i can I, I can do the math i think right that's nine people nine people that are walking and talking today just last year that wouldn't have been had you not made that change and and gone out there and been warriors and and uh and and risk you know there's a lot of risk here so that is a uh, uh, extremely impressive you guys should be, should be so proud of what you're what you've done i'm extremely proud that i had a little part of that so Awesome. You were the man. I'll tell you what, Joe, if I said the word Rialto one more time in Naperville, I probably, uh, yeah, I think the truth would have uh, lynched me. So. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's all the time we got, boys. All right. All right. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe, Billy, there's a part two here at some point where uh, we can get back with Chief Kavinsky and kind of talk about his, uh, you know, the, 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 the process and, and uh, you know, the finishing up the process in Naperville and then, you know, why he decided to go to the great state of Texas and what, uh, what that looked like when he went there and kind of what uh, ACR, what, what's happening there with ACR in Texas. Most definitely. I'll, I'll throw a little teaser at you. It happened way quicker than we expected. You know, you always want to, as a new chief, take some time. And um, here's the best part. My EMS chief here, who was a nurse, when I showed him everything and gave him everything and said, hey, you make a decision. I'm just sharing with you information. Um, he didn't believe it at first. So I just got to tell you that um, he's a believer now. And I look forward to sharing part two somewhere uh, down the road with you guys. This has been great. It has been great connecting with both of you, two people that I, um, I look up to very much so in the fire service. And thanks for the opportunity to spend a half hour with you all. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Chief. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been good information, and hopefully we'll get a part two in here. That would be fantastic. Thank you guys so much. All right, guys. Awesome. Later tomorrow. Take care. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation. Thank you for listening to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast.